I'm going to do something a little different. I'm, I want to read through the entire chapter, all except for one verse, um, and it's a long passage, so I'm just going to make one pass through it instead of two. So I'm going to just read through it as we go. So um, uh, I've checked. This is actually legal under our Presbyterian system, and, and um, um, I assume I assume so for a, for a Methodist as well. So, um, <laughs> but I don't know. So, all right. Um, uh, I'm, um, I'm trying to recapture where I was at. Um, I was going to say something about the the, the, ser- the the sermon series I'm in right now is on on the life of David. David's this this uh, larger than life character. He's he's got more stories about him in the Bible than anybody else except Jesus. Uh, there's just story after story about uh, David. And what I love about David is he's a great example of of a general principle about the Bible, which is um, it's so practical. There's this, there's this phrase people throw around about the Bible that I've never understood and I disagree with. It's this idea that, that the Bible or religion or Christianity is, is pie in the sky by and by. In other words, someday, yes, you'll get to heaven and everything will be wonderful, but in the meantime, it's going to be miserable here. And I just disagree with that because when, if, amen, yes, can I get some amens? All right. <laughs> uh, when I read the Bible, what I see is so much wisdom about how to have a better life now. Not necessarily an easier life. Jesus tells us that if we follow him, it's going to be harder. But what the Bible contains is wisdom, how we can have a better life despite that. It may not be easy. And, you know, who has an easy life? Christians or non-Christians? Nobody that I know has a really easy life. But we will have a better life if we adhere to the wisdom we find in Scripture. So we're going to see that in David's lesson today. Um, or the the reading about David today. When I was a kid, my mom used to uh, have this little proverb she'd quote. She'd say, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Okay, I don't know if you've heard that before. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And usually uh, she would say it after I was already in a mess, right? And it's like, <laughs> what, what good does this do me now? You know, that's the problem. It's not a question of, of should I have run in. It's a question, okay, well, I did run in, and now I'm in a mess. What do I do now? Um, how do we extricate ourselves from this before it turns into a complete disaster? And, and that's the lesson we're going to get, a very practical lesson today in, in the Bible today. I think we've all been there. We've all rushed in. We've all uh, uh, gotten halfway into something and realized it's maybe not the smartest thing we ever did. Uh, not, not this past weekend, but the week before, um, my friend and I were here, uh, my friend who is the mountain climber was uh, here in town and we went up to look at flat top, and Margot had looked at the um, the little uh, uh, Alaska tourist guide or something, and it said there's a nice little walk, and I found out there is. But my friend said, "Well, let's go up instead." And I'm looking up at it, and I'm going, "Gee, that doesn't look like the smartest thing." That's all. That's a when you're right up close, it's a lot higher. And um, and but you know, I, I kind of went along, and the the further along we got, the more I just had that sense of. What do you do when you're committed to this course of action that just doesn't seem that wise? And I think we've all been there. We've all had that. And the Bible gives us some really practical wisdom today about how to do that. So I want to just go through it now. It is um, from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And whoever put the, the chapter divisions in, they kind of picked a bad spot. So we're going to pick it up at the really the beginning of the story, which is chapter chapter 25, verse 2. And it should be up on the screen. Yes, there was a man in Maon 
whose property was in Carmel. So this is southern Jerusalem, uh, southern uh, Israel. Uh, it's in the part of the country called Judah. Now I need to back up a little bit because we need to understand what's going on. I've skipped over six or seven chapters since last week's uh, sermon. So um, what has happened last week? Last week David fought Goliath. And uh, it was great. He, he won the battle and he uh, was brought to the attention of King Saul. The problem with getting on the attention, you know, getting on the radar of important people is sometimes they can, they can decide you're not just a hero, you're a threat. And that's what Saul decided. Saul decided that David was such a good hero, he might actually uh, jeopardize Saul's kingdom. So he decided he was going to kill David. And David had to escape. David is now hiding out in his ancestral homeland, which is Judah, this same area we're reading about here. Uh, Saul and a lot of other Israelites are living further north. But David is from Judah. He's from the south. And that's where this story takes place. There was a man in Maon whose property was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The idea is that it's a, it's a wilderness kind of area. It's a semi-arid. And you can't just have 3,000 sheep all grazing in one pasture. So you send them out to different areas. And then when it's shearing time, you bring them back together. You shear them and... Uh, you actually typically have a celebration, uh, as we'll see here in a minute. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was clever and beautiful, but the man was surly and mean. He was a Calebite. Now, Calebite means he belonged in Judah. There was a bunch of different clans within the tribe of Judah, and he was from there, but he was from a different clan than David was. So he didn't have any particular family relationship with David that, that was behind him. So uh, we see that they don't get along. So David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Okay, David's still hiding out in the wilderness trying to keep Saul from finding him. And he heard that Nabal has now gathered his sheep. And so he said, to, he sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and, tell, and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. This is not the, the Mount Carmel you read about elsewhere in the Bible that's in the north. This is the one in the south. Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Thus you shall salute him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your men, your, your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your sight, for we've come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. He says, uh, we're on the lamb. Saul is trying to kill us. We're not at home. We don't have our regular farm and ranches around. We don't have any sheep for this festival. Can you give us some? And uh, uh, that, that's the question that David is asking Nabal. When David's young men came, they asked all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? And then he answers the question. He knows who David is. He says, Who's the son of Jesse? He's saying, Why do I care? Who is this guy? I don't care about him. There are many servants today who are breaking away from their masters. He's saying, I don't, I've heard a version of the story about the, the connection between Saul and David, and I've decided that Saul's the one in the right, not David. I'm not going to support a servant who's escaped from his master. So he says, Shall I take my bread and my water and the meat that I've butchered for my shares and give it to men who come from I don't know who? In other words, this nobody called David. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said, in the spirit, he reached out with the right hand of fellowship, he said, uh, every man strap on his sword. 
and every one of them strapped on his sword. David is not going to take this insult lying down. So David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So David has got 400 uh, fighting people and 200 people who maybe are also fighters, but at least can stay with the baggage. He's got a small army with him, so this was probably not the smartest thing Nabal ever did. But meanwhile, back um, at Nabal's house, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he shouted insults at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We never missed anything when they were in, when we were in the fields, as long as they were with, uh, with them, as long as we were with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were keeping the sheep. So he's saying, they protected us, right? There's Bedouins, and there's Philistines, and there's other people who would be happy to steal 3,000 sheep. That's just the way it was. And they're saying, because we had this guerrilla army nearby, they left us alone. They were a wall to us, and we were protected. All of our sheep were protected. So he says, Now therefore know this, Abigail, and consider what you should do, for evil has been decided against our master and against all his house. He is so ill-natured that no one can speak to him. So what does Abigail do? Abigail says, yes, that's a, that's a problem. So Abigail hurries and takes 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep ready-dressed, five measures of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. So what is that? It's, it's, she, she takes basically enough to answer David's original request. She doesn't give him a ton of stuff. She doesn't say, I'm going to start providing for your army out in the wilderness. This is simply enough for a feast. Five sheep split between 600 people. That's not going to be a whole lot of sheep for all of them, right? But it's enough. It's enough for this feast day. So she loads them on donkeys and said to her young men, Go on ahead of me. I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She's thinking to herself, no doubt, Nabal can find some way to mess this up, so let's just not tell him. (laughs) So, as she rode in the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely it was in vain that I protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. But he has returned me evil for good. God do so to David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. I will tell you, if you if you want to find interesting things in the Bible, remember a couple of weeks ago I said I was nervous about learning Hebrew or relearning my Hebrew. There's a great phrase in that sentence, and go look it up in like a King James Bible or something like that. It's a great example of how sometimes you lose... You lose the flavor of things when you translate it to English. So it is in English Bibles. Go find a King James Bible and you'll see it uh, when David makes this speech. But the point of it is, it comes through in any translation, which is that David has already committed to this course of action. He's got his 400 men with swords, and they're coming with him to go get vengeance on Nabal. And now he's doubling down. He's saying an oath. He's saying, I'm going to go get that guy, and if I don't, May God do the same to me. He's saying, I am going to do this, so help me God. He is really intense. He's, he's doubling down. So, that's when David sees Abigail. When Abigail sees, saw David, she hurried and alighted from the donkey and fell before David on her face, bowing to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Upon me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. My Lord, do not take seriously this ill-natured fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. 
what she's saying here is the word Nabal actually means, or at least it sounds like the word that means a fool. She's saying, look, this guy is a fool, so don't pay any attention to him. She's saying, you can't judge him because he's a fool. It doesn't make any sense. If you're going to blame anybody, blame me. I'm not a fool. I should have been there. I should have kept this from happening. Don't blame the fool. You can't blame fools because that's what they do. Folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. And now, I, there's a handout so you can actually get more... More. This is a great speech. Abigail gives a great speech. but um, And you can get more out of it if you study the, the questions. But look what she says. She says, Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, when you see all caps, that's, that's God. So there's a lot of lords here. So when she says, My Lord, that's like Sir. But when she says, The Lord, she's talking about God. So, And now then, my Lord, Sir, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, since God, the Lord, has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance on your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord, to you, be like Nabal. What she's saying here, and we, we haven't read this story, uh, earlier in the story of David, after Saul began chasing him, uh, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And David didn't. He said, I'm not going to strike down the Lord's anointed. Someday God's going to give me the throne, and I'm going to leave that in God's hands. I'm not going to go kill Saul now. And she says, this, if, if you can show mercy to somebody who's trying to kill you, then do the same for a fool. You have real enemies, David. You have real enemies, and I wish they were all as insignificant as Nabal. All Nabal did was insult you. There's other people trying to kill you, and I wish they were all just insulting you. So that's how she begins her comments. And then she, or her remarks, or what she says, her speech. And now, let this present that your servant is brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. So, take the sheep and so forth that I brought. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. She says, she says, accept this because you've got more important things to do. You're fighting the Lord's battles. Don't, don't mix your little problems, your problems, your, your being insulted with the real problem, which is you're out there, when, when you're not running away from Saul, you're fighting the Philistines. So fight those battles. Don't fight this. This is not an important battle for you. She says, you don't swat flies with a hammer. Don't, don't do this. And then she says, If anyone should rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living under the care of the Lord your God. God's going to take care of you. If anybody tries to harm you, you don't have to worry about it because God's going to take care of you. But then she says, um, But the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Now, this is, a, this is just flat out an appeal. She's stroking him here. She's saying, uh, we've all heard about the sling, how you took on the giant with a sling and you beat him up. We saw that last week, the story of Goliath. She's saying, God's going to do the same thing. God's going to throw them out like a rock from a sling. And, and in a way, she's subtly reminding him, yeah, you're a hero. You don't have anything to prove here, David. Everybody knows you're a hero. So when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over, over Israel, my Lord will have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for having saved himself. In other words, don't do something you're going to regret later. Later on, you're going to be king. Don't regret it because of something you do now. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So she says, 
just let it go. Let it go. And then when you get to be king, remember who told you that. So David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she'd brought him, the sheep and the grain and so forth. And he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have heeded your voice, and I have granted your petition. And then, this is this is this next part's why I called this uh, this talk um, chick flick. Abigail came to Nabal, and he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk, and she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. He became like a stone. I think he realized how close he had come, not only to getting himself killed, but everybody else in his household. And he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, with characteristic grace, Well, good. He said, Blessed be the Lord who has judged the case of Nabal's insult to me and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has returned the evil doing of Nabal upon his own head. And that sounds kind of mean. You don't usually say, good, I'm glad he's dead. But he's saying, good, I'm glad the Lord killed him instead of me. This is better. It's, it's in God's hands, and if God wants to kill him, better him than me. And that's actually a, a reasonable thing for David to say. And then David sent and wooed Abigail to make her his wife. I looked it up. The word wooed here is maybe overstating it. It says he spoke to David. He spoke to Abigail. So he spoke to Abigail to make her his wife. And the way he did that, he sent servants. And uh, the servant said, David has sent for us to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Your servant is a slave to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. That's the way you said yes with lots of flowers on it. So she said yes. So Abigail got up hurriedly and rode away on a donkey. Her five maids attended her. She went after the messengers of David and became his wife. So uh, that's not super romantic. And we're going to see why in a moment. David also, the very next sentence, also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Both of them became his wives. And then this comment, Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Palti. So David had earlier married into Saul's family. And when Saul decided he was angry at David, he took back his wife. And that's, that's the reality. So Disney never talks about that part of being a princess. But sometimes you just get jerked around like that and reassigned husbands. Um, but... But the the point here is probably not that David loved her and fell in love with her and wanted to marry her and all that stuff. Probably what's going on here is he's saying her husband died and she's rich and she's got a lot of property and some male in her family is going to go claim that. And then they will think, who is Abigail? She's got a jinx. The last time she talked to Nabal, he died. I don't want anything to do with her. I'm going to cut her loose. So what David is probably doing is protecting her because she's a widow. She can't have the property herself. And so by marrying her, he keeps her from being uh, homeless and, and bereft in this society. So um, I think that's I, that's my guess why they mentioned he married somebody else. I don't think it was that he was attracted to her particularly, but he was repaying her um, by, by providing for her the rest of her life. So that's the story of David. And as I, or the story of David and Abigail, um, and, and as I said, 
this is a practical story. This is something we can actually learn from and apply in our own lives. And, and I think a lot of the stories about David are like that way. David is his hero, and he does things that are so much larger than life, it's easier for us to see how we could apply those things in our own life. Um, David has David has done something that is uh, gotten himself committed to a course of action that is not a wise course of action. David has decided to avenge himself on Nabal for this insult. And then he doesn't just do that in his own head. He tells all of his army to do the same. All 400 of us are going to strap on our swords and we're we're all going to go take on Nabal. So he's committed himself publicly in front of his entire army. And then on top of that, he's now sworn an oath. He said, um, may God do to me if I don't do to Nabal. So David is publicly committed. He's as committed as you could get. And Abigail comes to him and says, this isn't the smartest thing you've ever done, David. And David backs down. That is so hard for us to do. And, and it is part of what makes David so great here. David publicly backs down from an unwise course of action. You know, I called this sermon um, Chick Flick because there are all these stories and, and I, you know, kind of my notion in, in this uh, sermon series is that all these different stories about David are like watching a bunch of movies during the summer blockbuster season. If you went and saw all the movies you'd see that there's war and there's adventure and there's intrigue and there's romance. There's all these things that would make great movies. And this is one of the ones that would be kind of in the category of a romance movie or something like that. Um, because David was kind of a ladies' man. The problem was, oftentimes, the ladies were married. And, and I'm, hearing, I'm hearing some laughter. So some of you probably know, if you were to read through the two and a half books of the Bible that relate to David and you got done at the end and you said, what's the romance story? Most people would probably pick a different story, David and Bathsheba, or David and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And I chose not to do that for two reasons. First of all, the lesson is pretty obvious there. Don't have adulterous affairs and don't kill people, right? You, that's not too hard of a lesson. But it's also one I think we're not going to have as many opportunities to apply as this lesson, which is to back down when you start down a stupid course to stop. Don't don't dig your hole any deeper. So I picked this um, in part because this story is kind of the opposite of the story we looked at last week. Last week we saw how David committed himself to a course of action. He started walking around saying, hey, why doesn't somebody kill Goliath? And then he got taken before the king and he said, I'll kill him. And then he faces Goliath and Goliath says, I'm going to grind your bones to make my bread or whatever. And, and David says, no, I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. David has committed himself to a course of action. David is a hero. David has shown great courage and has followed through. And here, David does the opposite. And the reason, as Abigail reminds him, is you don't have to prove anything. You're working for God. Let God pick your battles. Don't pick your own. So he backs down. And by doing so, David shows us that to back down is not to be a chicken. And to keep going on a dumb course of action is not to be brave. David shows us you can back down and still be a hero. And this is good news for anybody who's in the middle of a foolish action, which I do a couple of times a day. 
Last week, as I told you, I kind of got myself talked into not taking the simple loop that lets you have a good view of Flaptop, but we actually walked up to it. And I got about as far uh, away from the top as the exit sign. And I'm standing there, and there's snow, and then rocks beneath the snow. You know, the if you slide down the snow, you slide onto the rocks. And I looked at it, and I said, you know, I would sure like to get to the top of this mountain, but I don't see how to get there safely. And what stopped me, or what, what almost made me go on, was my friend is a woman. And I'm thinking, oh, but you have to go if the girl goes, right? <laughs> and and then, then I come to my senses and I say, but she's a mountaineer. She's climbed a hundred mountains, okay? She just got done coming down off of uh, Denali, uh, Mount McKinley. And he said, I don't have to prove anything. I can stop here. So I got about as close to the top as the exit sign there, and I said, that's good enough. And I turned around, and mostly I don't. I think men in particular have a real problem turning around. I think it begins on the playground. Think about it. How many trips to the principal's office begin with, what, are you chicken? Right? Right? You know, I, I think a lot of us have been there. And, and um, you know, famously, you know, what is, what, is the, what is the famous line about men? They never stop to get directions, right? That the wife is saying, why don't we just stop and get directions? We invented GPS, women. We invented GPS just so we wouldn't have to stop and get directions. Okay, so we don't like to stop. Once we're committed to a course of action, we want to keep going because to stop would, would interfere with our pride and our vanity and, and our dignity, and so we don't. So we keep going. And David shows us that it's okay to stop. David says, when you're in a hole, quit digging. Go back. Go back home. Face the music. Face the embarrassment. And go home. Fight God's battles, not your own agenda. This is a lesson we can all apply. I think we can apply it as a church. We can ask ourselves, what is the church doing that maybe made sense at one point, or maybe never made sense, but we still continue to do? We, I think this is a question we can always ask. What can we stop doing in God's name? Instead of always asking, what can we start doing? What can we quit doing? But I think in particular, we can apply this lesson in our own lives. David showed us that sometimes it takes more courage to stop than to start. Thanks be to God. Amen.